Welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. After Paul had left for Tarsus, the church in Jerusalem enjoyed a period of peace and growth as they lived God-honoring lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter continued ministering to the different groups of believers, and we're told in Acts chapter 9 verse 32 that as Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the saints, the Lord's people in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was a paralytic who'd been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Luke carefully records Peter's journey to a place called Lydda, not far from Azotus, where Philip had ministered after his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. While Peter was visiting the believers in that city, he came across a paralyzed man by the name of Aeneas. Dr. Luke emphasizes the seriousness of the man's condition, revealing that he had not been able to leave his bed for eight years. Now, I'm quite sure that Aeneas must have been astounded when Peter suddenly announced, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Notice how Peter doesn't take the credit for the healing himself. It is the Lord Jesus who heals. Peter is merely Christ's messenger. But notice also what Peter tells him to do. Essentially, Peter commands him to get up and put away his bed, for there is is no need for him to remain there any longer. There is life to be lived. I think that there's much we can learn from this interaction that's useful in our own walk with the Lord because Christ forgives our sin. He heals our hearts and gives us a newfound strength and we can put away the things that used to define us also and rise to a new way of life as well. The change in Aeneas greatly affected others, and we're told that everyone in that region turned to the Lord because of how he was healed. You know, God can use our own transformation to minister to others in just the same way. We may never know all those who see or hear of Christ's work in us, and so it matters very much how we live. The healing of Aeneas had indeed been an amazing miracle, but God's work through Peter was far from over. An even greater miracle was about to take place. Look at verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. 
So word about the miraculous work the Lord had done through Peter travelled fast, and soon it reached the coastal town of Joppa, ten miles west of Lydda. The disciples there urged Peter to come to them because one of their group, a woman by the name of Tabitha, had fallen sick and died, much to the distress of the widows in the city. Also known as Dorcas, she'd done much work helping the poor, and she was greatly loved. When Peter arrived, the grief-stricken women tenderly showed him all the clothes Tabitha had made for them while she was alive. And verse 40 tells us, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. As Peter ushered them out the room, we see him humbly kneel in prayer, asking God to do the impossible. It's interesting to me that Luke's account of what Peter did that day is so similar to what Jesus did when he raised Jairus's daughter from the dead in Mark chapter 5. Mark's gospel reveals that Jesus spoke to Jairus's deceased daughter, saying, Talitha kumi in Greek, which means little girl, get up. In the original Greek language of Acts 9.40, Peter says something very similar as he speaks to the dead woman, Tabitha, call me. In fact, there's only one letter different between the two phrases, and I can't help but wonder if Peter wasn't prompted to do what he did because the woman's name reminded him of Jesus' words to the little girl years before. No matter how the Holy Spirit led Peter to do what he did that day, we cannot miss the significance of it, for this was the first time God had used any of his disciples to raise someone from the dead. When Peter called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive, it had an incredible effect on the community, with many people coming to believe in Jesus as a result. Luke then simply mentions that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And yet, there really isn't anything simple about that statement at all. In fact, it indicates something very interesting because the rabbis taught that according to the law of Moses in Leviticus 11 verses 35 to 40, anyone who was engaged in the profession of tanning animal skins was considered unclean. Most tanners tried to live by the sea and had to identify themselves as tanners so that pious Jews could refrain from all contact with them. Yet Peter is willing to stay with this Christian brother despite his line of work. Why? Because he knew that even though his profession isolated him from others, Simon had been accepted and cleansed by Jesus Christ. What Peter didn't know 
was that the Lord was preparing him for an even greater encounter with people who were considered even more unclean. What we're going to witness in chapter 10 has been called one of the greatest turning points in the history of the church. For just as Peter was used to bring in the Jews in Acts 2 and the Samaritans in Acts 8, here in Acts chapter 10, he becomes the one God uses to bring the Gentiles into God's kingdom. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Caesarea was the Roman capital of Judea, and it was about 30 miles north of Joppa where Peter was staying. Cornelius, as the first Gentile to be admitted into the church, is so important in church history, we really need to look at all the information Luke gives us about him. He was a Roman centurion, which meant he was in command of a 100 Roman soldiers. To be in that position, he would have had to have been a courageous and analytical man who knew the meaning of loyalty. Cornelius was not a Christ follower at the beginning of this story. Actually, he was not even a Jew, though we are told that he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. In the New Testament, that term God-fearer was often used of those who had grown weary of the many false gods and the immoral ways of other nations, and who, though they had not been circumcised, attended synagogue and accepted the God of the Jews as being the one true God. This certainly described Cornelius. He was a devout, in other words, a sincerely religious man who gave generously to those in need and who prayed to God regularly. Most importantly, Cornelius was seeking God and as scripture teaches, those who seek him find him. However, it's very important for us to notice that although he was religious, did good deeds and was generous to those who were less fortunate than himself, although he prayed to God and observed the Jewish religious traditions, such as praying at 3 p.m. each day, this man did not yet clearly know the God whom he served and prayed to, or his son who had died for him.
As he prayed one day, an angel appeared to him. The messenger encouraged him, saying that his devotion had not gone unnoticed by God and that he was to send to Joppa for a man named Simon, who is called Peter, who was staying with a tanner who lived near the sea. Like the good soldier he was, Cornelius obeyed without question all that he was told to do. Of course, God also had to prepare Peter for what was about to happen as well. And Luke reveals that the very next day, as Cornelius's messengers neared Joppa, Peter had his own vision from God. Look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into to a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being lowered down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Before Cornelius could be welcomed into the church, Peter had to learn a lesson because strict Jews believed that God cared nothing for the Gentiles. Now, in all fairness, Peter was already losing some of that rigid way of thinking, for he was staying with a man who was deemed unclean by the rabbis. He'd also seen the Holy Spirit poured out on the despised half-Jewish Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. But the lesson needed to be expanded even more. Peter had gone up on the roof of Simon's house to pray as the lunchtime meal was being prepared. In those days of crowded living, the flat house roofs were often used when one wanted privacy, and as he was praying... Peter fell into a trance. He saw a sheet being let down from heaven full of various kinds of animals, both clean and unclean, according to the Jewish food laws he would have been so familiar with. As he looked at the sheet with the animals on it, God told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter was quick to refuse, declaring that as a good Jew, he had never eaten anything impure or unclean before. This happened three times, and each time Peter was told that he was not to call anything impure that God had made clean. And it quickly becomes evident to us that his vision really wasn't about food at all. It was about the people just coming to the gate to ask for him. I wonder if Peter noticed how God repeated the instruction to him three times. The last time the Lord had done something like that was after Peter had denied him. Jesus restored him and showing him grace as he gave Peter new purpose on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He told him three times that Peter needed to feed his sheep. Did the apostle make that connection in his mind as he heard the Lord repeat his instructions three times now? 
We don't know, but we do know that this would have been another significant event in Peter's life as God was about to take Peter outside of his comfort zone to rescue his sheep from Gentile territory. Look at the Lord's perfect timing there in verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Notice the respect the Gentile messengers showed. Knowing that no Jew would welcome them across the threshold, they stopped at the gate and cried out, asking if Simon called Peter was there. It was then that the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter, telling him that he was to go with them without hesitation because they'd been sent by the Lord. I find it very interesting that the phrase, for do not hesitate in Greek, can also mean to go without discrimination. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Peter may not have understood everything that was going on, but it seems the lesson was beginning to take. Realizing that they would need to rest before setting out on the two-day return journey, he invited these Gentile men into the house as his guests, and Simon, the tanner, was happy to follow Peter's lead out of obedience to the Lord. Luke tells us that when they set out on their journey to Caesarea the next morning, some of the brothers from Joppa went along with them. In Acts 11.12, we will discover that the Holy Spirit had prompted Peter to do this, a fact that ended up being very helpful as it meant he had plenty of witnesses to what God did among the Gentiles there. Verse 24. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? 
Can you imagine what Cornelius was thinking and feeling as he waited for his men to return? He could not have been sure that Peter, a Jew, would have even crossed the threshold into his home. But, acting in faith, he had invited everyone close to him to come and listen to the man of God. And as Peter entered the house of Cornelius, he fell at Peter's feet in reverence. As we've come to expect, Peter refused to accept any honor for himself, and lifting the centurion to his feet, he told him to stand up, for Peter was only a man himself, a servant of God, and nothing more. It's clear from his own words that despite Christ's earlier command to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, despite what Peter had experienced in Samaria, Peter had really not expected to be sharing that good news with a Gentile. In fact, he readily admits that although Jewish law forbade him to associate with or visit a Gentile, God had shown him that he should not discriminate against them. And Peter had finally learned the lesson. He then asks why they had sent for him, what they were wanting to hear. Verse 30, Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius explains what had happened from his perspective, that in answer to his prayer, God had commanded him to send for Peter, who was to bring an important message to them from the Lord. And just as we saw with the Ethiopian eunuch, God reveals himself to those who truly seek him. And he also gives his messenger the words to say. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name.
Realizing the connection between his vision and what God was now calling him to do, Peter began his message by declaring how God does not show favoritism, that the Lord is willing to accept anyone who sincerely seeks a relationship with him, irrespective of their background or their cultural heritage. Though I'm sure that Peter had much more to say to this group of Gentiles, Luke gives us the simple summary of his message to them, which is worth our careful attention, as it is the very heart of the gospel message. Peter began by revealing in verse 36 that Jesus was sent by a loving God as a gift to mankind. Jesus is not only Lord of all, he is also the only one who can bring mankind peace with God the Father. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and by God's power, he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. It was plain that he desired to banish pain and sorrow from people's lives. And yet, those who should have loved him rejected him and in their sin crucified the one who had been sent to save them. But all that had been part of God's eternal plan, for Christ's blood was shed on the cross, his death being a substitute for ours. And God raised him from the dead on the third day. Christ would not be defeated. He conquered the worst that men could do, and ultimately he had conquered even death itself. Peter revealed that he had seen and spoken with the risen Lord as had all the disciples and that he could personally testify to all these things, that Christ is alive forevermore, that he is the appointed judge of both the living and the dead, the one of whom the prophets of the Old Testament spoke, the one who offers forgiveness to all those who trust in him. And in fact, all of us who believe in him are witnesses to these same truths that allow us to experience the friendship with him that we should have had from the very beginning, but which sin interrupted. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. As Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit clearly came upon all those who heard his message. The Jewish Christians who had come with Peter could not deny what had happened. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, much like the day of Pentecost some ten years before this. They were eyewitnesses that God had indeed accepted Cornelius and his friends. And so, at Peter's command, these Gentile converts were immediately baptized. 
What joy there must have been as Cornelius and the others came to know the love of God and came to be included in his family, even though they had been from such a different background. How remarkable it was that Jew and Gentile who had lived as enemies for so long were actually brought together in Christ at that moment as they both looked to him as their saviour. And I love that Cornelius and his family and friends asked Peter to stay with them for a few days in order for him to teach them more. And that just goes to show how joining God's people is not so much the end of our journey as it is the beginning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Cornelius and how we see that as a good moral man who even prayed to you, he was not saved until he heard the good news about Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for Peter, who was willing to go to his enemy and was willing to take that risk of stepping across the threshold in order to bring the message of peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be courageous as he was and take the gospel to the very ends of the earth, to leave our prejudices behind and to just share the truth of Jesus with everyone who seeks him. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.